This episode is brought to you by The Porpoise. The Porpoise, asking, why is everyone looking for me? This is Wild Green Streams for Ecological Fiends, the podcast about memes, science, and wildlife. I'm Rhett. I'm Curtis. And with us today is Rosemary Mosco, the artist behind Bird and Moon Nature Comics. We'll be talking to her today about her book, A Pocket Guide to Pigeon Watching, Getting to Know the World's Most Misunderstood Bird. Welcome, Rosemary. Hi, it's great to be here. We interrupt this podcast for an old news update. And by old, I mean that we recorded this segment in January. Every now and then, birds that are supposed to be in one part of the world wind up in a completely different area of it, even if they don't migrate or they don't migrate very far. And there's really no reason for them to be there. That's happening right now with this one bird called a stellar sea eagle, which is a rare eagle from North Asia. They live in Japan and Russia typically, but one has been sighted in the last year everywhere from Texas to New England to Canada, just going all over the place in North America. Most recently, he seems to have found himself more content in the main region. No one really knows why he's here, but he just wound up here and he seems like he doesn't have any intent to go back. Yeah, so I've been hearing a lot about this bird. I made a cartoon about it a couple of weeks ago because I really liked the photos people were sharing of the stellar sea eagle standing in front of a bunch of normally extra spectacular bald eagles and kind of dwarfing them and making them look inferior and they all looked really ticked off. And it kind of cracked me up, but yeah, I actually haven't seen the stellar sea eagle and normally I don't go hunting after rare birds, which is an embarrassing admission as a birder, because I feel sort of bad for a lot of the wanderers. (laughs) Like, I feel like they're definitely doomed, but this one is in the right habitat. It's in the right temperature. So I have hope that it will stick around. Yeah, it seems to be liking the area. It's been there for a while. Like Rhett said, I, I think the first sighting outside of its range was Alaska. And then it was after that, it was like the first stellar seagull ever recorded in the lower 48 uh, United States. From what I understand, it's pretty rare, like even in its own region. I think the individuals were something in like the low thousands. It's listed as a vulnerable species as far as endangered status. So it's about 4,000 of them live in its uh, native peninsula. So pretty unusual, even in its usual range, never mind being the, the only one in the United States at the moment and also being spotted in Canada. So pretty cool sighting. I think it's neat when this kind of thing happens because it reminds me that the world is much more connected than I would normally think of it. I understand that it's X distance away and it's a real distance that you could walk and then take a boat. But unless it's a distance that I've crossed, a lot of the time it feels to me like For instance, Japan is just in another planet or not even like another planet so much like its own realm, like it's like another dimension. And then to have something just step by step fly over here is an interesting connection. Yeah. And it made it down to Texas too, which is like extremely not where it's supposed to be habitat wise. 
So it's just, yeah, it's weird. It's sort of connecting all of these different spaces and, you know, giving birders a cool show. Birders who wouldn't normally be able to go to like Hokkaido or Siberia or something. I still really want to go and see them in the wild because apparently you can see like a hundred of them fighting over one fish. I think that would be (laughs) ridiculously cool. They apparently can hybridize with bald eagles, or at least there's one reported hybrid or purported hybrid that people saw in Alaska. So I'm hoping it'll stick around and hybridize and make some cool hybrid eagles. That's insane. For reference, these are way bigger than a bald eagle. They have like an eight foot wingspan. They weigh 20 kilograms, I think is what I was reading. And then as far as them colonizing a new area or hybridizing with the native species. It's pretty interesting too. When I was in undergrad, I went to UF and we had an event that was very similar to this, actually a little smaller scale, but another uh, threatened bird, uh, the snail kite, which typically lives just in the Everglades, hadn't been seen that far north up in North Florida in decades, I believe. One of them came in to our local prairie and it was a big event kind of like this. And people were saying, oh, it's lost and blah, blah, blah. But then the next year it came back and the next year it came back again and another one came with it. And now we have a whole set of snail kites and it turns out that it wasn't so much that it was lost. It was just ahead of the curve. You talking about Payne's Prairie? I am. I was just there a few weeks ago. So I went on a really long road trip and managed to get down to Florida. And I went to Payne's Prairie, which is now Payne's Swamp, True. because I, I guess there was a, a hurricane that Uh, messed with the water flow and everything's flooded and there were like dozens of snail kites it was unreal they were they're everywhere like they're they're so easy to spot what the heck back when i lived there that was uh we would skip class to go look at that bird and now it's (laughs) like it's just there they're just they just live in the area and it's not surprising i see pictures of them all the time and they have a really really bizarre success story that rhett would be better at uh, elaborating on than i am but uh basically i as far as I know, it's the only example of an invasive species leading to the success of a highly endangered species. So there's an interesting thing that happened. There is a native apple snail in the Everglades. Snail kites are adapted to eat that snail, or at least they were. They have a curved bill and they would curve it around and get into the shell and eat the snail out that way. Well, there's an invasive apple snail that's actually much larger in the Everglades now. And the snail kites, as it happens, actually prefer the larger snail. So they've been just gorging themselves on this bigger food source to the point that there's actually some short-term changes in their beak sizes and shape adapting for the new food source. It's actually not as good for them. It's kind of like junk food to them. So it's questionable, or at least the jury is still out on what its long-term effects are going to be for them as a species. But one of the potential reasons why they colonized Payne's Prairie, actually, is that it's complicated to explain. There was an artificial expansion of the prairie, which is a good thing because the city is using it in conjunction with some other city services. So it created a bunch of wildlife habitat that also helps people. But when they did that, they planted a lot of plants that they had shipped up, native plants that they'd shipped up from South Florida to plant there. And with those plants came the invasive apple snail. And then a year or two later came these snail kites. So it might be that this event where they migrated up here is actually in response to the apple snails. Uh, I don't think anyone really knows. Man, I I love that stuff. I love the complicated nature of our interactions and, you know, colonialism and moving stuff around. And it's just so like messy and 
it's, I don't know, like my dad's a sociologist and I always just think like, oh, this stuff is just so meaty and fascinating and rich and like messed up and horrifying. And there are a couple of examples up here in the North Northeast where I live of butterflies that have switched to an invasive host plant, which I think is kind of cool. Like there are these, well, I think they're broadwing skippers and they've switched from their native host plant to Phragmites, which is this horrifying reed that's taking over everything. Yeah, it's everywhere. Um, I'm, I'm I'm also a, a New Englander and you any anywhere with water like it's like a stone toss away <laughs> yeah yeah well these butterflies like are really into it that's there's also this this species called the Baltimore checker spot that's really beautiful here and their host plant is turtlehead which is this beautiful native wetland plant but is not very common and they have spread to um, European plantain as as another host plant which is ridiculous and they're everywhere it's i don't know this stuff is wild so speaking of all the bizarre interconnected aspects of nature and humans and birds in particular but you have a new book yeah it's called a pocket guide to pigeon watching getting to know the world's most misunderstood bird and it's a friendly guide to watching your local pigeons and why you should so i'm hoping people will see it and go, why would I buy that? And then <laughs> buy it as kind of a humorous thing and then really get into it. I bought it. <laughs> Yay, I it worked. Got a chapter and a half in and learning things I never knew and completely fascinated by the topic. I've always loved pigeons and didn't even realize that they were feral or domesticated, at least in North America until fairly recently. And it was just a very bizarre moment. And I've kind of never looked at them the same. I spend a lot of time in the city and started actually noticing like individuals at the train station. Maybe I was ahead of, ahead of the curve as well with pigeon watching, but what drove you to, to this topic? I think it was kind of a similar feeling. I've always been kind of into underdogs and I've always been into living in cities and bird watching too. And so I always kind of appreciated pigeons, but I didn't really understand their story. And then when I started to understand it a little bit better, I realized to my horror that they're just massively, massively misunderstood. And I realized how short a lot of folks' memories are in terms of the creatures that are around us and how, I don't know, it just became really important for me to tell their true story and at least let people make up their minds with all the information presented to them. And they're just kind of cool and fun to look at. So what is the story of pigeons? What's misunderstood about them? Oh, gosh, so much. So they were uh, at one time native to parts of North Africa and Western Asia and bits of Europe, um, kind of scattered bits, although it is difficult to tell where exactly they were native to because there may not be true native populations left now. The jury's still out. There's people looking into it. But at some point in this area of the Middle East known as the Fertile Crescent, um, somewhere between the dawn of agriculture, which was about 12,000 years ago, and our first evidence of this happening, which is maybe four or 5,000 years ago, that I'm waving my hands because writing hadn't been invented there yet. <laughs> so it's, it's so long ago, there's like almost no records. Um, people domesticated the pigeon, the, the, this particular species of pigeon, Columba livia, um, and then um, believed it to be indispensable and spread it all around the world. And so that's why they're in North America is this 
thousands and thousands of year old relationship with this bird that people once considered absolutely essential to civilization. Why were they considered so essential and what changed? That is a really good question because if you look at a pigeon, you don't think, ah, I could ride on that. <laughs> or, uh, oh, <laughs> that, will, that will guard my crops. <laughs> like they're, they're, I, want, I want a pigeon that can do both of those things. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want beware of attack pigeon signs. I know. Um, yeah, so so uh, they're shockingly incredibly useful. They really are. So they were domesticated probably for meat initially. Um, and up until pretty recently, North Americans ate a lot of pigeon. We actually, uh, our least colonists helped uh, eat the, the passenger pigeon to extinction, um, the bird that used to be native to here. There was also some habitat destruction in there too, but a lot of it was just eating it to death. And in other places in the world, they used to eat pigeon. And in some places, people definitely do eat pigeon today. So there was a food component. Um, their poop was useful for fertilizer. And there's an ingredient in their poop called saltpeter, which is useful for making gunpowder, which became um, a point of conflict for people who raise pigeons versus the king who wanted lots of gunpowder up in, um, in England in the 1600s. And so many other uses. If you strap a message to their foot and you, you know, release one, it'll fly back home and carry the message a really long way. People have raced them. They've attached beautiful sounding whistles to their tails and had them fly around and make music. Um, they've bred them into a whole bunch of different fancy breeds, every bit as weird as dog breeds. It's, it's endless, the uses that people at least used to have for pigeons. So we actually got a few questions from Instagram before we started this podcast, and you actually touched on a couple of them just now. C. Graber 6 asked us, to explain the difference between carrier pigeons and homing pigeons. Yeah, my understanding is that they're pretty much the same, but within that group, there are a few different sort of subgroups. Um, there are some that were designed for a purpose or bred for a purpose and some that were bred for just looking really pretty. So there are show homers, show carrying pigeons. Um, and then there are pigeons that are used for racing. And then there are pigeons that were used to carry messages. And so there's a lot of kind of variation within there. But those terms, at least my understanding, is that they're, they're pretty much applied to different subbreeds of this Columba Livia that, um, you know, were, were bred for that particular purpose, at least initially. Although the world of pigeon breeding is really complicated. And I kind of dipped a toe into it. And then went, okay, this is such its own world. And I don't want to pretend that I can understand it in a couple of years, you know? So I sort of like nod to it and use it as a tool to understand our feral pigeons. And then I kind of like give a brief intro. I had the book be read by some pigeon breeders. And then I went, okay, I'm not going to step on your toes. Cause it's, it's like me walking into Westminster and going, oh, I know about dogs now. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah. I was is just there... going to ask, is there like a, a Westminster dog show of pigeons. Yes. Yeah. There are pigeon shows all over the world. Um, I have not been to one. Most of this book was worked on during the pandemic. Oh, so I didn't, I didn't get to go to one. Um, I've been to, to shows in the past, but I, I didn't have plans on writing this book. So I mostly just went, Oh, look at that nice pigeon. I didn't understand the breeds as well. There are also all sorts of clubs dedicated to particular breeds. There are breed standards in America and breed standards in the UK. There's like national groups. It's a, it's a whole social world. It's, it's, it's big business and big hobby for sure. 
Is there a particular type of person that breeds pigeons? Have you noticed they also really like some, I don't know, anything, any other kind of interests that go along with it? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I feel like, so because pigeon breeding has existed for thousands and thousands of years, mm-hmm. it's really complicated. So up until, um, in some places in in England, the 1600s, in France, the 1700s, at least in those two places, people were not allowed to have pigeons if they were poor, basically, Mm -hmm. only rich people could. Um, In other places in the world, for example, in the the Mughal Empire, um, it was the emperors who had pigeons. So in a lot of parts of the world, it was the the hyper rich who had pigeons. So for thousands of years, I would have said it was the, it was the, the rich, like, you know, or at least hundreds of years. It was, it, this was a thing that rich people did. Yeah. Um, and then slowly the barriers to that fell down. In fact, during the French revolution, the poor actually tore down the, the <laughs> pigeon barns of the rich and said, no, we're doing this now. Um, and it became more egalitarian. And so in, in some places, um, you know, the class distinctions have really been destroyed. Um, I uh, read a great article about people who, um, about black uh, pigeon, roller pigeon keepers who formed basically a black pigeon keeper society, kind of in defiance of some of the racism in some of the whiter groups. And like, there's some really, there's some really cool um, stuff going on there. But yeah, I, I, I don't know that I could say, you know, oh, they're all into model trains or something. Right, right. I, okay. I feel like they're all over the world um, and they're all breeding different kinds of birds. It's, it's super, super rich. It's, sure. it's amazing. Did so, they used to be less common in cities? Like when they were a status symbol, if you're trying to keep lower class people from having them, I don't imagine that they were just out in the park. Yeah, you know, I've wondered that. So the thing about keeping pigeons is that um, you you let them out during the day. So they're very faithful to their nests. So it's it's weird. It's sort of like, it's like letting your, your chickens or your horses kind of wander around town. Um, and that was a source of contention was that, um, the poor would have these pigeons flying down and eating the grains from their fields and they were they were all ticked off or at least that's that's what Charles Dickens says in a tale of two cities he has a whole thing about it yeah. um, so they were definitely around but I don't know that they were in quite the density that we have them in our cities just because where would they go where we go they go so it, there might just be enough food here to support enormous populations compared to the countryside. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Another question from a Instagram person, Lucas MH42 asks, what's the difference between a pigeon and a dove? And a ecology Kata also asked, why don't we call them doves? Yeah. So uh, the, the dirty secret is we do. Um, so Columba Livia, the city pigeon is variously known as the rock pigeon or the rock dove. And there have been big arguments about which one should be the accepted common name. Everyone listening to this, I'm sure knows common names are a huge, gigantic mess. And, uh, you know, creatures have a zillion of them and all different languages. And so uh, the difference is there is no difference. So within the pigeon and dove family, Columbidae, which is a huge, really cool family that includes like the dodo bird and the Rodriguez solitaire and all these cool, cool birds. There are some birds that English speaking people went, okay, that's a dove. And some where they said, that's a pigeon. And there is no evolutionary connection there. Um, it's random. It, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's, you know, it's, it's polyphyletic or whatever. It's, it's just like, 
let's bandy these names about. And so, um, so yeah, there, there are certain, you know, evolutionary subgroups, but the words pigeon and dove don't really mean anything in terms of a distinction. <laughs> and I, I wasn't able to find out exactly where that double word thing originated, but I suspect it was um, during the Norman conquest of England because pigeon is French hmm. and dove comes from sort of Norse and, and old English roots. So gotcha. for a lot of, a lot of critters had that happen. Like, um, you know, boeuf beef for, for cattle. So we have like cow, which is English and then boeuf, which is French for cow. And so huh. there was a lot of like doubling up of words for a food animal versus a not food animal. So that might've been what happened, but yeah, there's, there's no difference. So like when Noah released a dove out of the ark, that was a pigeon. He was hucking a pigeon out the side of the <laughs> ark and saying, like, go get me a twig and bring it back. That's funny. <laughs> Which cracks me up. We had another question from, and I, I'm loving this username, Yiddish fish. Like, uh, like Swedish fish? Yeah, I like Swedish that. fish, but but yeet. <laughs> <laughs> this fish empty yeet. Yiddish fish asks, how many different species of pigeons are there? And do you have any favorites? Oh, no. You know... I, I knew that at one time and I don't remember how many there are. Um, I remember that like a lot of them are in some sort of a trouble. I think like a third of them or something. Mm. Um, oh, but that's just not a figure that I have at my immediate command. I see Curtis frantically Googling. <laughs> Dodo birds were pigeons, right? So they were recently recategorized as pigeons. Um, there was sort of like a, a taxonomic reshuffle. So that's partly why I'm I'm like blanking on an exact figure is there's been a, a bit of that. But there are uh, there are a lot of them. Oh, go ahead. Uh, 351 species among 50 genera. That sounds good okay. to me. Yeah. Oh, there are tons. I mean, there are some little groups of fruit doves that and green pigeons. There are just tons and tons and tons and tons. There's so many. So there's a lot of really good ones. My favorite is probably the Nicobar pigeon, which is gorgeous. It's this um, rainbow colored bird with this sort of like stormy blue gray, looks like a hairdo. It's like really, really glam and, and fancy. And it has these big, big feet and kind of like cool yellow toenails. And it stomps around on the ground, eating the poop of other pigeons and doves. Um, wow that weren't able to fully process some of the, the seeds they were eating. So it will like eat those seeds. And, and so it's this like poop eating, like rainbow fantasy bird. <laughs> it's amazing. You have to look up what the Nicobar pigeon looks it like. It looks like the best I can describe it is it looks like the background of a holographic Pokemon card. <laughs> yeah. like, like it's just, it's just got every color in one it's just like crazy iridescent this is the one that um i read this in your book the closest living relative of, of the dodo right yeah i think so yeah yeah you know just to describe it further it looks like the background of a holographic pokemon card but in all the pictures i'm seeing it also looks like it's judging me a little bit <laughs> But the funny part is like, if you were to just isolate a picture of the head from like the neck down, mm -hmm. I would think it was just a, a rock pigeon that I, I saw yeah. on the street. Like there's nothing like super flashy or distinctive about anything above the neck. And then it has this like, <laughs> like lion's mane of tenderly feathers and then goes straight into like NBC Peacock. <laughs> like 
I, I'm imagining it like wearing a suit to work and then it's like five o'clock time to clock out at party and just rips and it's like a tearaway suit and you can see like the rainbow and it's like all right and it's it's just a rock pigeon all along <laughs> oh no <laughs> so this so, bird primarily eats other birds poop i mean i don't know about primarily i know that it does um i'm not sure it probably eats some other things too but sure. i think that it, it will eat the seeds that other birds were not able to digest oh i see pretty cool but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've seen them in aviaries and I'm sure they don't feed them other birds poop. So I'm sure that <laughs> it can also eat some other plant material. Uh, it could be pretty useful. Just have one of those in there. You don't have to clean up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they're in aviaries. I don't know. I mean, I, they're in all sorts of aviaries and I always just stand there for like an hour just basking in the Nicobar pigeons. So you covered your favorite pigeon and I'm going to spring an, a new question on you because this comes from a, a tweet that's been making its way into meme groups and just general public for a while because I just I just love this tweet so much. This is from uh, Simon C at Simon C. Hollard on Twitter. I like having conversations with kids. Grown-ups never ask me what my third favorite reptile is. So we've covered your favorite pigeon. What's your third, <laughs> what is your third favorite pigeon? We're putting you on the spot. Oh, no, my third. Okay, wait, so now I have to order them. So Nicobar pigeon. Um, second is maybe Victoria crown pigeon because they're so big. Good choice. How big are they? They're they're huge. And they have this like peacock sort of thing going on on the top of their head. They're, they're really... I think I saw one at uh, at a zoo, if I'm remembering correctly. There, yeah, it's like you you shrunk the peacock. <laughs> this is this is like a new a new a new challenge of a an audio format is just describing things ridiculously. It's like you shrunk down a peacock's tail to the size of a large pigeon, <laughs> and then dyed it blue, and then yeah. stuck it right on the pigeon's head, not on its tail, but you got you got this. <laughs> With with these piercing red eyes. Yeah, that's I a, imagine that's a cool like bird. when someone says, I hate pigeons, like one of those just kind of like walks out from behind a tree or something and just looks at you. This <laughs> is <just> like, <laughs> say that again. <laughs> the baby is really funny because it looks like it reminds me of a hedgehog, honestly. It's true. Whatever's going on with the We can get into baby pigeons, but they're really weird looking but okay so third favorite pigeon so I think I've got it so it would be one of the bleeding heart doves I think I talk about the Luzon bleeding heart in my book but there, there's a whole bunch of them so they're really strange because they look like something shot them in the heart so oh. their feathers make it look like they're bleeding complete with that sort of like uncanny yeah it's like a ragged edge almost around it it's almost like yellowish it really it looks like it's been hurt like I, I'm imagining like the first person to see one of those was like, okay, which one of you guys stabbed this? <laughs> this? But that's just what they look like. It's just, you know, the, the lady bleeding heart doves enjoy seeing a man who can survive a hideous injury and keep on trucking, I, I guess. I don't know. That's Maybe crazy. That's <laughs> I've <laughs> never before seen an animal that unintentionally looks so grievously wounded before. <laughs> And the rest of they're beautiful, but it's like they have this bright white breast to really accentuate the horrible mortal injury that has. There happened. has to be a reason behind it. Like, are they, I wonder if they're like aggressive and if that's like a sign of surviving a fight, like. 
I mean, they're pigeons, so probably not. <laughs> I don't know what's maybe they're know. just maybe they're just like goth pigeons. Like I don't, I don't know what's going on. But I mean, it is... so much of that display stuff, like you know, birds and and other animals too, can you know they can often see colors we can't. You know, birds can see into ultraviolet. There's there's always yeah. something going on with those patterns that we aren't able to observe. You know, we're not at pigeon height. We're not. You know. But uh, yeah, they're they're just wild looking. But I wouldn't say they're my favorites because I feel like if I just straight up said this is my favorite pigeon, people would be really worried about me. They'd be like, <laughs> "Can I look at your diaries?" Well, that's why they're your third favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can have a a, a a concerningly weird animal as your third favorite only. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. the third date pigeon. I'm like, okay, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about the third one. <laughs> Lay my cards on the table. So you make comics. Is that's your main thing that you're known for? What are your comics like? Do you want to just describe them for everybody? Sure, they're very funny. <laughs> oh yeah, they're hilarious. I'll, I'll um, agree with that. Oh. No, I uh, I don't know. I um, I haven't been asked to describe them in few amounts of. It's words. so counterintuitive. It's like describe yeah. something that's a visual medium for us I, I guess it's, so I make a lot of cartoons about nature a lot of them are bird related um, some of them are sort of like instructional like what to do if you find a injured baby bird or like did you find a brown recluse spider or something like that and then a lot of them are just like I think very similar to the wild green memes memes for ecological fiends you know like shit posting <laughs> like mm -hmm. here is the stupidest bird joke I could think of um, and yeah, I, but I researched them really, really heavily, which I think a lot of people don't realize they're kind of like my passion. Like I spend most of my time writing books, but the, the comic stuff is just, it's fun. It's a good way to connect with people who have my same weird brain, like, like you all. So yeah, something I really like about your comics is that I almost always smile and I almost always learn something. Yay. Like oh, at the same time. Yeah. I can't stop talking about weird duck season. <laughs> like that one stood out to me. I saw, um, I think I've only seen a merganser once, but it was definitely like in the dead of winter during weird duck season. And that's a thing. It's, so it's become a thing. This is like my legacy and I'm really, really happy about it is, so I made this cartoon about the four seasons of bird watching and the first three are, you know, beautiful migrants of spring or whatever and songbirds and such. And then the winter for, so for me, winter is weird duck season, which is when, the, these incredible ducks show up on lakes and start doing these wild displays. So your mergansers or your, um, you know, uh, shovelers or all those like, you know, ready ducks and all these birds with these, you know, long bills and sticking up tails and all this stuff. So I thought it would be fun to make one. And I honestly, I put it online and I thought no one else is going to find this funny. This is going to be one of those ones where people just roll their eyes. And I've gone birding and people will mention that it's weird duck season and they won't know where that came from. <laughs> and I'm so happy because it's like my child has gone out into the world and is doing weird things. It's pretty crazy to see something from the internet bleeding into real life. Actually, related to what we were talking about earlier, recently someone posted in the group that they had gone to see the stellar sea eagle and they posted a picture of the back of someone else's car in the group that, that had also been looking for the eagle and the back of their car had written in the dust on it. They had a, a picture of uh, Goots, of Goots. the Goots meme. Yeah, from Wild Green Memes. And then they also had the sea eagle on it. Then that person saw that post and answered it and it's just weird how it bleeds in and out of reality and then you're like oh these are real people out there somewhere you know you just run into them every now and then yeah it's comforting you know as a little kid 
who was into this sort of like humor plus nature plus art. I really thought I was the only person on the entire planet. And I was just, just really, really, really weird. And I tried to do other things and I couldn't, I was like, this is what I like. And I guess I'll do it. And making cartoons is a way to connect with people and realize I'm not the only uh, person with this bizarre affliction. So a lot of these jokes, like I'll write a version of it and then I'll think this doesn't make sense to anyone. And so mm-hmm. I'll just have to give it a couple days, look at it again. There's always someone who will get it. it it'll make sense to the right person. I guess, I mean, there was one I posted a few weeks ago, just a little drawing that I thought was really funny that I think maybe no one did. It was, um, it was around Christmas and it was like, whenever I see people with those cars where they've put the reindeer horns on or the reindeer antlers on, mm-hmm. I, you know, the sort of like felt ones. I don't know if folks do that where y'all are at. But uh, I've absolutely like, do. Yeah. So I was like, what you're doing here is you're preparing your car for the rut. Like, <laughs> and I made some joke about like, Merry Christmas. Don't forget to prepare your car for the rut. And like, nobody, I'm so grat- gratified that you're laughing because nobody, nobody understood it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just love that you're like, no one found this funny. And then Rhett and I, and I was like, burst into tears and laughter. I've never thought about that before. <laughs> that is so bad. Because that's, that's, that's what the deer are doing. So oh you're basically God. like, heck yes, I can't wait for my deer to defeat the other local stags for full <laughs> access to the herd. <laughs> it's a new meaning for road rage. <laughs> oh, man. I want to see a demolition derby. <laughs> With with this theme, with antlers, yeah. Well, they could have different kinds too. They could also have like uh like like bighorn sheep horns. So some of them have the curls, and then others, I don't know, that whatever pronghorn have going on, and just (laughs) everything out there. Be crowned like the chief ungulate. Speaking of new things that we're doing with this podcast, we just started this new feature where we go to our patrons and we ask them for a suggestion for an animal or organism or something related to the guest. So we're going to do our new segment called A Bird from Our Sponsors. Today's bird is the Lammergeier or bearded vulture chosen by Patreon subscriber Madeline Mullen. This especially large bird of prey eats bones. 85% of its diet consists of bones and bone marrow, and it uses its highly acidic stomach to digest them within 24 hours. Speaking of animals, which a podcast does not do justice, bearded vultures are one of the coolest looking birds and just animals in general out there. Yeah, and would also fit Rosemary's comic about animals that are named after things they aren't because they are not vultures. I guess technically they're not bearded either. True. Yeah, I, they sort of have. Yeah, they got like a feathery beard. We could we could define thing going what a beard on. is. Yeah. Bearded bearded dragons are out of the club. Right. Fake beards everywhere. Oh no, they got a little one. They got the uh, that counts. Okay, never mind. I take it back. You should because it'll eat your bones. So yeah, these it. things are scary. You know, I tried to look up. I didn't believe fully the stories about them pushing or pulling prey animals off of cliffs, and I tried to look it up, and I, I didn't find a bearded vulture doing it i found a video of a golden eagle doing it though uh so i believe it it's just that that's an insane thing for a bird to do like imagine if you're just walking along you're like a little mountain goat and just this thing comes out of the sky and pulls you off of the cliff the website i was on animaldiversity.org claimed they do and i couldn't find other sites to back it up but it, it may well be true they all 
corner them on the edge of cliffs and beat their wings at them, forcing them to fall off the cliff. So they're not so much lifting these hooved mammals off of the ground, but mm. it's like like lemmings except real these these uh, animals to fall off and then they'll go and devour their bones when other scavengers are are finished so a little different uh technique than the golden eagle i saw but still kind of if anything more impressive that is a good pick that is like that is a good patron right there lammergeier if people want to go read your book or to see your comics where should they go well so the book is Again, it's a pocket guide to pigeon watching, getting to know the world's most misunderstood bird. I've heard some people accidentally say understood bird, but no, they are very, they're very misunderstood. And it's at bookstores and anywhere you buy books online. And my cartoons are at birdandmoon.com. I'm also the only Rosemary Mosco, M-O-S-C-O in the world. So if you Google me, you will find me. So I feel pretty lucky about that. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Rhett. I'm Curtis. And I'm Rosemary. And happy Year of the Mushroom.